going to talk through this together. Hang on. First of all, we'll be uh, in chapter 13, verses 1 through 14, and we've, we've kind of uh, given some headings of these sections. The first section is this, we live under God's reign as we live under the government's authority. So God is God over everything. And sometimes we would say, we would like to think that because we've surrendered to Christ, we are under God's kingdom, his authority, and that exists separate from this earthly authority, but that's not how it works. I didn't set the rules, but God did. And somehow, being under the authority that has been given to us, we are under the authority of God. And perhaps some of that is learning how to submit in ways that we don't want to. Maybe that is helping us to identify things that are not right in our society with a hopeful mindset of what is to come in eternity. Maybe that's part of it. Additionally, I would say that, that Paul is going to use a term, this, this, um, uh, this government authority, he's going to use this term in ways that connect it to spiritual reality. So this, these phrases that are used throughout uh, this chapter are phrases that connect with the angelic. And it's important for us to understand that because there have been some commentators who've said, yeah, actually, we're talking about a spiritual realm here. We're not talking about government authorities, but the reality is, and the context of the passage would help us to understand that, yeah, we're talking about government authorities in our world, in our physical world, and also there is a spiritual message that has been given to us through this authority. Also, the government affords an opportunity for believers to fulfill the law. Uh, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. We'll talk about it as we go. Let's jump in. We live under God's reign as we live under the government's authority. Uh, one, we are subject to authority. In other words, as believers, uh, we are subjected to different authorities in our lives. Three institutions that are ordained by God, family, the church, and the government. And within those institutions, as we walk in those institutions, uh, we are sub subject to those authorities. Additionally, governing authorities are servants, are God's servants. And again, an important thing for us to remember. Though they may be ungodly, though they, they may have selfish ambition, vain conceit displayed and very open, they are still in an office that identifies them as God's servants. And we'll talk about it as we go. Let's jump into verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Again, kind of a play on words that connects to this angelic realm that, uh, realm that there is a, uh, a message from God that is to be understood and lived out. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist exist have been instituted by God. Jesus says almost this exactly as he's in front of Pilate, right? That the only authority that you have is that which has been given to you by my Father. And Jesus exercises this. I want us to understand a principle here that may be very important for us and might have generational ramifications. Here's the principle. It's better to be righteous than to be right. Here it is. Jesus, before Pilate says, surrenders to Pilate, he could have called down his angels to protect him. 
because he was right. He didn't do anything wrong. There was no reason on earth for him to get the penalty that he had. He could have called his angels down to protect him. He would have been right in doing it. But he wouldn't have been righteous. He chooses to be obedient to the call that the Lord has for him, surrendering himself to the authorities that are before him in ancient Israel. And in doing so, he gives his life. He chooses to be righteous over being right. And we see that, uh, we're reminded of that in this passage. Continuing on, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So there are consequences here on earth for that kind of rebellion. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. I I want you to, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to underline the term good. It's an important concept for us to get because we're so familiar with the idea that we maybe overlook what's really being stated here. Early Greek philosophers and the early church wrestled with this term good. And they said, well, what does it mean? Well, to boil it all down, it it means this. To say that something is good means that it has relationship to the one who is saying that it is good. Right? Like we wouldn't just walk around and go, oh, those are good trees. What does it mean to have good trees? Well, if those trees were blocking the wind and the snow from my house, then I might say they are good. In relationship to me, they are good. Also, in relationship to my will, those trees would be good, what I want. So when we look at Scripture and we try to understand what the term good means, it means in relationship to God and in relationship to His will, something is good. Now, that might be really difficult for us because something could be good that feels bad. An example would be, I've shared this multiple times with you, probably so many times you're like, ugh, here we go again. Uh, but uh, when, when I tore my ACL in high school, uh, basketball, would have, I would have considered that, like that is the most important thing in my world right now. When I tore my ACL, that was bad. But when I look back now, I see that God used that to get my attention. That, that God used that to get my attention and I called on the Lord's name. But God used that to get my attention, I called on the Lord's name, I ended up going to Crown College. I ended up going to Crown College, and I met Cindy Havel, who became my wife, and we had seven children together, and we've been in ministry together, uh, in part because of something that happened. It's hard for me to look back now and say that torn ACL was bad. I, I would actually say maybe that torn ACL was good, that it was in line with a relationship with God, and that it was consistent with his will. And if God's word is true and I believe that it is, that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, then we recognize that there may be things in our lives that don't, don't feel good, that actually are good. It, maybe it, it's a health issue, or maybe it's a loss of a job, or a loss of a relationship. Or what could it be that God maybe identifies as good? So, it's important for us, when we see the word good in Scripture, that we're talking about a relationship and we're talking about God's will, specifically a relationship with God and specifically God's will. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, those who have a relationship with God and uh, who walk according to his will. But to bad, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. 
for he is God's servant of your, for your good. In other words, God might even be working something out through bad leaders, ungodly, evil people at times for the sake of your good. That you would have a right relationship with God and that you would walk according to his will. And that sometimes God uses really bad people to do that. And we see it throughout history. Continuing on. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. So this government leader is a servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So that God even uses these offices to carry out his own wrath. That sometimes... Uh, God is using them to carry out his wrath, which is important. That means he's not using Kenny to do that. He's also not using my social media platform to do that or yours. God is using our government for specific reasons and purposes, and it's important for us to see them as God's servant. Though they may not recognize it, though they may not live it, though they may not enact it, it's important for us to see them that way because it allows us to give honor to where honors do. More on that in a moment. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. We know that we know that we know we did what was right. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Again, this is, a, this is a way, this is context for us to understand. We're talking about real people here on earth. We're not talking about an angelic realm right now. We're talking about real people here on earth. We actually pay taxes. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Again, there's a kind of a showing of Paul's hand to remind us that no matter Jew or Gentile, no matter if in government or a citizen or a non-citizen, everyone is created in the image of God. And because everyone is created in the image of God, uh, we have responsibilities to give honor to whom honor is due, to give respect to whom respect is due. And in these offices that people uh, serve in, we give honor and respect in those places. Secondly, the government affords an opportunity for believers to fulfill the law. I know you were anticipating this. I'm excited to share it with you. We have a debt to love, and love fulfills the law. Let's talk about it. Verse 8. Owe no one anything. Pause there. Uh, debt was a very bad thing in the ancient world. It, more so than now, even. And the reason is, it, it could land you in jail. It, it could land family members in jail. We see that, uh, that principle told by Jesus in a parable he gives in Matthew 18 with the wicked servant. Uh, debt could put you in a bad place. So it was very important to not have debt. Not with your taxes, uh, not with your bills with others for goods and services, to have no debt. It was very important because the consequence could be that you end in jail, in prison, you could be tortured. So, owe no, owe no one anything. And then he says, except to love each other. Okay, well, that, that's, that's a big statement. Uh, okay, we owe, 
we don't owe anything financially, but we do have a debt. By the way, this is something that he's revisiting from chapter 1. Verse 14, he identifies that he is a debtor. Uh, he is a debtor to, uh, to all Gentiles. What is he a debtor of? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That he has a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So this debt is a responsibility that he has to share the gospel. He fleshes it out to say that this is, this is that love. This uh, non-transactional kind of love. This, this kind of love that isn't dependent on a response on the other end. In other words... There is no product that I'm purchasing. It is not because of our relationship. You're a family member. You're a close friend. It's not because of that. I give you love because uh, I have received this love to give you. That, that's all. What is this love? Well, Jesus displays it. It's Jesus who says, no, greater love has no one than to give his life. And Jesus does that on the cross when he offers his life as a sacrifice and a ransom for us. That he raises from the grave, he gives life to anybody who would call on him. And Jesus displays that sort of love. It's also sacrificial. So it's not just non-transactional, it's also uh, sacrificial. And it is the gospel. It's living it and it's speaking it out. Except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He's going to flesh that out even more too. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. You probably recognize those from the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, these are part of the Ten Commandments. Uh, those are responses to other people. By the way, those are selfish responses that are in this world, in this, the kingdom of this world under that banner of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's selfish to commit adultery. It's selfish to murder. It's selfish to steal. It's selfish to covet. Uh, that's not this kingdom exercise that is non-transactional and sacrificial, that is life-giving and extending that the Lord has called us to. It's important for us to identify that. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So all, all of the law is fulfilled in a way that is sacrificial, non-transactional, and life-giving in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're sinners. That sin put Christ on the cross. It was also a sin that was my debt. Jesus paid it. That sin that was my debt, that was paid by Christ, then all who call on his name shall be saved. Like that is good news and we get to share that with others. Did you catch that? We get to? We get to. It's fun to make that connection and to see that lived out. It's a beautiful thing. And you might be saying, Kenny, I can't do that. I agree. Not just that you can't do it, but also I can't either. That's where verse 14 comes in. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed. And remember, a few weeks ago, we spent a lot of time talking about that issue of being transformed, that there is a change of form. That's what that word means, to 
have the form changed, that we go from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Well, what does that look like? Well, that looks like uh, ourself being changed from ourself to Christ, different form. That Jesus wants to live in us and through us, that Galatians 2.20 is true. We are crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live, yet not us, but Christ in us. And the life which we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. It's Christ in us and through us. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, that's, that's kind of a big statement. Let, let, let me give it some um, life. Okay, so as I said earlier, my dad was uh, really big in comedies, loved comedies. Uh, he loved comics. He liked to hear them. He, he laughed with them. But there was one area that he just didn't laugh. He just didn't find it funny. And I remember it, not that he talked a lot about it, but that he modeled it so much. And that was making fun of people. And especially making fun of authorities. Uh, whether we were watching something on television and they were making fun of a president or uh, whether it was somebody generically making fun of a boss at work. My dad just didn't find that funny. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it's a biblical principle uh, that we, we, don't, we don't mock uh, those who are in those positions of authority. We don't tear them down and make fun of them. We might disagree with them, and, and we can push in those areas, but we're called to love them non-transactionally, sacrificially, life-giving. Make no provision for the flesh. So uh, I'll tell you that um, sometimes I'll go to YouTube, and while I'm on YouTube, they'll have those YouTube shorts. You know, it's like a 30-second video, and I'll start scanning through those. And sometimes uh, there'll be these uh, people, influencers, who are making fun of somebody and situations, whatever, and it is really hard uh, to not laugh and to not engage. But I can't because of this. So I have to make provision. Or I have to not make provision, which means to stay accountable, which means to maybe don't look at those shorts, keep scanning, keep go past it, or don't do it at all. There's probably better things to do, friends. Uh, also, let me give another one. Uh, Perhaps someone's struggling with pornography. What does it mean to not make provision for the flesh? Well, you may say that, uh, yes, whenever you engage in pornography, it is with a specific device. Maybe it's your phone. Okay, then be accountable. Give other people access to that phone. That would be a way of not making provision for the flesh. You might say, you know, it's late at night that I struggle with it. Okay, well, it may mean that you're not on your device after 8 or 9 o'clock at night. It's not making provision for the flesh. It reminds me uh, of a friend of mine who years ago said, I, I believe God wants me to stop smoking. I said, great, don't buy any more cigarettes. And he said, well, okay. Uh, and I said, do you have any cigarettes in your house? And he said, yeah, I do. I said, well, I'll come over and get rid of those for you. No, 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 don't do that. Those were expensive. Well, what are you going to do with them? Well, after I'm done smoking them, then, then I'll start. It's like, well, wait a minute. If God's calling you uh, to quit that, then shouldn't you just quit it? You've, you've already paid the price. Like, shouldn't you just quit it? Well, he wasn't willing to not make provision for the flesh. How is it that we're following Christ in obedience by not making provision of the flesh? The government is a way for us to understand God's authority. 
It's, it's given to us to better understand who God is. We live under God's reign as we live under the government's authority, and the government affords an opportunity for believers to fulfill the law. Uh, I have these mealtime questions up, and I'd like you to... They, we've kind of gone next level with them. They're a little bit deeper. They're a little more uh, vulnerable, but I want to encourage you to wrestle with them today uh, during a mealtime. Maybe it's at lunch or maybe it's in the evening, but with another person to talk through these. As we prepare for communion today, I, I want to let you know we'll be doing something a little bit differently. One, after you've taken some time to prepare your heart and you go to the station nearest you, coming through the carpeted areas and then around in the outer aisles and back, uh, we are asking that you just participate in communion at your seat. You don't have to have further instruction from up front. So that's a little bit different than we've done. We almost made it all the way through. That was so close. Uh, uh, so I want to encourage you to participate just at your seat. You don't have to wait for further instruction up front. But as a way for us to respond in faith to the Lord, one of the things I have been guilty of, perhaps you have been too, is not praying for our leaders. And so I, I wanted to take a little bit of time in our service today to ask Pastor Art to come forward with the worship team as he's coming forward. Pastor Art is going to uh, pray for our leadership, for those who are in authority uh, over us and with us. So Pastor Art, without further ado, I'm going to let you jump right in. It's quite an honor for Pastor Kenny to ask me to do this. He knew that I've always had this interest in the government and in politics. And so over the week... I was just trying to write out a, pro, a prayer, and it just kept coming back to me. Let's just do the Acts formula. Now, if you've never heard of the Acts formula, it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It's a very usable method of praying, and so I want to use that method as we pray for our government this morning. Let's look to the Lord. Father, I am just so thankful, we are so thankful that you are sovereign. You are over all. You're King of kings and Lord of lords. Nothing happens that can contradict your plans. You're aware. And we're part of that plan. So I just want to lead us in confession, Lord, that we haven't always obeyed you when it has come to our leaders. We haven't always been prayerful for them, concerned for them, develop a relationship with them, obey them. And so, Father, we are just so thankful that we live in this country, that you've allowed us to live in America, where we have the freedom to gather and worship. We have the freedom to witness and proclaim the gospel we are so blessed as a nation. Thank you. So, Father, I just want to lift up in prayer this morning our president, President Biden, his vice president, Harris, the cabinet, all of the advisors, all of those who work within the White House. Thank you for them. Thank you for the Supreme Court. Thank you for the Chief Justice, John Roberts, Jr., 
for all the justices and all the clerks and all those that work within the Supreme Court. Guide and direct them as they determine how to live out the Constitution. Pray for our senators and our congressmen, especially those that represent us. But getting closer to home, Lord, when we think of our governor, lieutenant governor, and then like Senator Pratt and Representative Brad Tapke, these are our neighbors. These are individuals that we can get to know. We can pray for them. We can share with them our thoughts, our concerns. We haven't done so well with that. Then I think of the county commissioners. I want to thank you for Tom Wolf as the chair. Guide and direct them as they, as they make plans for our county. These, too, are our neighbors. I think of the county attorney and all those who work underneath him, the county sheriff, Hennon, and, and those that work underneath him. You know, they protect us, our homes, our families. Thank you for them. I want to thank you for our mayor, Matt Lehman, and I want to thank you for the city council. Again, these are our neighbors. These are people we can shake hands with. We can share a cup of coffee with. We can mow the, you know, as we watch them mow in the yard, we can talk with them. These are our neighbors. Lord, we haven't done so well being your ambassadors. May that change. May that change today as we contemplate and consider Romans 13. May we take a more active role in getting to know our neighbors, those that represent us. May we pray for them, pray for their families. What difficulties do they have? What challenges that do they have? Again, Father, I'm just reminded that we're supposed to be your ambassador. We're supposed to be your ambassadors to our community. Help us to do that. I think of the school board, our schools the principals, the teachers. It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to, to complain. But what have we done to best represent you? Speak to our hearts today. Challenge us. Draw us closer to you so that we can be closer to our neighbors and those in our community, those who are our leaders. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping this morning, and as we do, when you feel so led, you can feel free to get up and get your communion and take it when you're ready at your seat.